The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act will soon let employees request reasonable accommodations for pregnancy, childbirth, and related conditions. The law applies to all employers, but federal agencies will have their own approaches to implementing it. It takes effect June 27th. For details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman spoke with Sharon Tajani, Associate Legal Counsel in the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's Office of Legal Counsel, and with Denisha James, Attorney Advisor in EEOC's Office of Federal Operations. You hear James first. They will have to decide um, from an implementation perspective, what does that implementation look like? What will our procedures, um, our processes look like? How will we have to update our processes and procedures to reflect this additional protection, this this protection that will be effective in June. I like to think that federal agencies are ahead of the eight ball, right? I like to think that we <laughs> we we as federal agencies, we are quite evolved in, in regard to workers' rights in regard to how we protect those rights. And so um, the federal government agencies, at least based on my communications and, and trainings with them, we have so many processes and procedures. I feel confident what the PWFA provides into the process and procedures that exist now. Many federal workers, the civil rights programs that they implement every day um, in regard to the other anti-discrimination laws that they're responsible for implementing. So I like to think that um, it would won't be terribly challenging um, because of all the processes, procedures, much of the redundancy that already existed. Would this necessarily be like easier for federal agencies compared with maybe private sector employers to implement this just because of what's already in place? How much would this really stray from what already exists? I think it will be easy. I mean, I mean, I I can tell you that as it exists now, many, if not all agencies have either a reasonable accommodations office or a standard operating procedure that managers and employees have available to process reasonable accommodations requests. So I would view the rights under the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act is sort of building upon really the structure of the reasonable accommodations process that many agencies have in place right now. I'll give you an example. Upon notifying a manager that you need an ergonomic chair, for example, there's a process for many agencies that exist now today of who is the point of contact in human resources or who is the point of contact in Office of Legal Counsel. So, of course, that process and that procedure looks different based on the agency, based on the size, um, based on a number of other factors. But I like to think that the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act and the process for processing those requests under this new law will sort of be folded into the procedures as as many agencies are implementing now um, pursuant to the ADA. To pick up Denisha's point about the PWFA uses lots of terms that are already in the law. And so things like reasonable accommodation, undue hardship, what kind of employers are covered, those all come from existing civil rights laws. And so generally employers that have processes in place, whether that's the federal government or private employers, can modify those processes to then include the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. So that way it shouldn't be that much of a difference. This shouldn't be that much of a jarring transition, we think, for employers, whether that's the federal government or private employers. Are there areas where agencies or other employers might want to pay special attention? One of the things that's been discussed around training the PWFA is that, you know, there are no magic words sort of associating with how one should be starting the conversation about 
protections that may be afforded, accommodations that may be afforded under the PWFA. Um, there are no magic phrases that should be used. So I think that for federal agencies, this will be an opportunity to remind their managers, supervisors, having communication is really the first step. There's a lot of terminology um, in the PWFA around making a limitation known. And, and once a manager is, is aware of a limitation, of, of course, has a responsibility to respond appropriately. And so educating managers and supervisors around knowing there won't be any magic words, right? The, the communication should, should be the communication that you have with your, with your employees on a day-to-day basis. But being aware that there are lots of ways that a worker can convey that they have a limitation and having the resources available to the manager to respond appropriately. Sharon, anything that you wanted to add to that? Another part of that is, well, lots of stuff is the same. There are certain things that are obviously different, right? That's why they had to have a new law. One of them being the what you get an accommodation for. So you get an accommodation for a known limitation. That is very clearly doesn't have to reach the definition of a disability. And so you know, as Anisha was saying, like training employee, training supervisors to know that when these requests come in, while you may use the same processes as the Rehab Act, what you can get an accommodation for is different and making sure that employee, that supervisors especially know that and know that they have to start processing these requests as they come in. Can you give a couple examples of what the accommodations could be for pregnant employees here? So it's certainly going to depend on the employee, but um, some examples that come from like the House report about this bill are things like additional bathroom breaks, being able to carry water with you, breaks to stop and eat, light duty, time off for medical appointments, time off to recover from childbirth. And those are just examples, obviously. It's going to depend on the employee. It's going to depend on the job. And an employer doesn't have to give a reasonable accommodation, right? Just like under the Rehab Act. If it causes an undue hardship, then the employer doesn't have to do it. How common is it for these types of, you know, accommodations to be missing for pregnant employees? Where is the basis of this law coming from? Why was it why was it needed? I would say that the law was needed and this is very apparent by, you know, the the debates and communications on the floor by our congressional leaders. They speak a lot about sort of empowering pregnant workers to continue to earn a living in a way that is healthy and in a way that preserves the safeties regarding childbirth, regarding the aftermath of childbirth, the expansiveness of the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. It's not just about, you know, being pregnant, not just about the the um, act of childbirth, but but in some situations, the medical um, complications that that may come after. So so it's really this expansive approach or, or a holistic approach is how I would say it, to understanding um, and being responsive to the rights for workers um, as it relates to all aspects of childbirth. In addition to that, one of the I guess, groups of individuals who who now have protection are pregnant workers who are are pregnant with no other um, acute complications that will rise to the level of a disability. So, so under the current law, as Sharon has said, the requirement for water, the requirement for more bathroom breaks, you know, those are conditions that can be necessary for a worker who's experiencing an uncomplicated pregnancy. As Denisha said, what was aimed at was there's this gap in coverage. There was this group of people who needed accommodations and weren't getting them under either the Rehab Act or Title VII. And I think that's a lot of what this is aimed at. 
it's a good thing for agencies to offer these accommodations anyway. These are things that allow pregnant workers, workers affected by childbirth, workers with related medical conditions to stay on the job, to do their jobs well. And the time and energy it takes to replace people is so high that if you can do something like this for your workers, that's a better thing for the agency because you get to keep the talent and keep the expertise. And these workers get to, you know, get through their pregnancy, their childbirth, their related medical condition in a way that makes it easier for them to continue working. Sharon Tajani, Associate Legal Counsel in the EEOC's Office of Legal Counsel, and Denisha James, attorney advisor in EEOC's Office of Federal Operations, speaking with Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. Check out Drew's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.